Amen. Turn with me, please, this morning back to the uh, first chapter of the book of Acts that we considered uh, last Lord's Day morning. Turning to Acts chapter 1. This morning, by the help of God, we hope to consider the verses 9 through 11 of this chapter. You will recall that the passage that we find here in Acts 1 is the very day in which the gospel work of the church of Jesus Christ was to begin. At this stage in the history of the world, Christ has been spending a number of weeks after his resurrection instructing the disciples in the true doctrines of the gospel kingdom. Uh, We read in our uh, New Testament reading in the book of Luke of how he opened their understanding. And so all earthly carnal notions of a national kingdom have been suppressed in the hearts of the disciples. And now these disciples are on the cusp of beginning this great gospel kingdom mission in the world. But we saw from the earlier verses in the chapter that this gospel mission, this kingdom mission, this work was not their work. This work was to belong to God. It is his kingdom. And he has taught the disciples that this kingdom is under the authority of the Father. It is a heavenly domain. And yet, he also revealed to them the plan for gospel expansion. He showed them how they would be his witnesses. From a little band of 120 followers that we read about in verse 15, the kingdom would expand throughout Jerusalem throughout all Judea, even Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth, even to us Gentiles gathered here this morning. This was God's revealed plan for his kingdom work. Now, at this exact moment, something quite remarkable happens. As the disciples are gathered there with Jesus Christ, And as he has just said these words unto them about the expansion of his glorious kingdom across the world, Christ is taken up to glory. He is lifted up to heaven. These were to be the last words that the incarnate Christ was to speak to his followers on earth before he assumed his throne in heaven. Yet far from being a discouragement to the disciples, this event was to be the ultimate encouragement for their ministries. If Christ had remained on earth as the earthly leader of his kingdom, it would have been less of an encouragement to the church than this ascension. If Jesus Christ was reigning now in Jerusalem, Would any of us be gathered here in Inverness? But this was to be a great encouragement. Why was this an encouragement? Why was the departure of the physical presence of their Saviour to be an encouragement? 
Well, these grand events on the Mount of Olives that day was to bring to the disciples this message that the work of the gospel is guaranteed to succeed. The work of the gospel is guaranteed to succeed. Let us see then in these verses, first of all from verse 9, that the ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven proves it. We read in verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. You see, this very fact that Christ ascended bodily into heaven is evidence that the kingdom of Christ will succeed. Let us see how that is so. Well, firstly, it teaches us that Christ's earthly ministry was complete. Our verse commences with these words, And when he had spoken these things. This was the terminus of Christ's earthly ministry. These were the last words he was to speak. We find that much is written and much is said about what Christ said on the cross. Much is written. Many books have been written about every stage of Christ's humiliation from his incarnation through to his resurrection. But I suggest, I haven't tried the experiment, but if you were to arrange all of the books that were written on the doctrines of Christ in their in their order, based on the order of his life, you would find much on his incarnation. You would find much on his life and teaching. You would find much on his death, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. But you would perhaps find less on his ascension. But when he spoke these things, his earthly ministry was punctuated with a full stop. Christ had come as an infant. He had condescended to be born in human flesh. He lived a life subject to the law of God. He suffered the same miseries of this life that we suffer. He was tempted in the same way in which we are tempted. Yet all of that without any sin or any blemish. He lived that perfect life. But more than that, he suffered the eternal wrath of God for our sins, even though he had none of his own. That he was buried, proved that he died. That he rose again from the dead, proved his deity. But that he ascended into heaven. Well, that proves that he had finished his work on earth. Yet though his personal, earthly work is finished, we saw last week that his work is not done. The work of the kingdom is not done yet. Christ has merely relocated the seat of his kingdom from Jerusalem to heaven. And as he leaves, he has commissioned his earthly agents to expand his kingdom across the world. But that is a work that they cannot perform. That is a mission that they have no abilities to take one step towards achieving. 
until Jesus Christ is seated on the throne in heaven at the Father's right hand. Until he sits down, until he sends the promised Holy Spirit, the disciples can do nothing of this mission. So this entry then into heaven, it was essential for the plan to succeed. Now Christ had prepared his disciples for this very thing back in John 16. In verses 4 to 8 of that chapter in John, we read these words. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. See how Christ's ascension into glory, his departure from this world, was essential. The the completion of his work on earth, all of that was absolutely essential. Expedient is the word that Christ uses here for the disciples to be able to carry out that great commission. Just by the way, we see that when Christ first spoke of his departure to the disciples, we read that they had sorrow. Christ reads their hearts and he says, sorrow hath filled your heart. We don't see any sorrow in Acts 1 when he departs. But so we see, having finished his earthly work, Christ takes up his heavenly work. Or rather, I should say, he continues his work in heaven. He sends the Comforter. He makes a way of access for us onto the throne of grace because there at that throne of grace he appears for us in our flesh as our advocate, as our intercessor. Christ ascending into heaven shows that his earthly work is done. But secondly, it also shows us that Christ's sacrifice was acceptable. We read he was taken up. When we read that he was taken up, the emphasis in those words is on something happening to Christ. Christ is being raised up by the power of the Father. The ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, just like the resurrection, was a token that Christ's substitutionary life and death were complete And they were acceptable to the Father. Of the resurrection, we are told in Acts chapter 13 verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. In Acts 17 verse 31, we are told, He hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrection was a proof of the acceptability of the work of Christ, like the fire burning up the burnt offering was likewise a proof that God accepted the sacrifice. It was proof that our redemption had been accomplished. And so we see here in the ascension that same truth 
that the beginning of the ascent, when Christ began to rise, it was something that happened to him. It was proof that it was acceptable to God the Father. But I will note just this, that Christ was also active both in his resurrection and in his ascension. We see in his resurrection that he says in John 10 verse 18, I have power to lay it down, speaking of his life, and I have power to take it again. So yes, there's a sense in which God the Father raised Christ, but there's also a sense in which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, also had a part in raising himself. And likewise, here, although we read that he was taken up, with the emphasis being on God the Father raising him, we also have in verse 10 of our passage that he went up, with the emphasis being on Christ as the active part in going up himself. But we have that acceptability. But a third aspect of the ascension that proves that his kingdom will most assuredly succeed is this, that Christ ascended into heaven in his humanity. Our verse says a cloud received him out of their sight. There's something very important here in this verse about this cloud that received him. It is such a tiny detail. You know, in the 15th, 16th centuries, uh, there was much uh, religious art uh, that depicted people on clouds. And I deplore their imagery. But I commend their attention to detail. This little cloud that appears in Acts 1 is a little cloud, but it's a, it carries with it significant teaching for us. We might not learn it from a painting, but we learn it from God's word. This cloud shows us Christ's humanity. How so? Well, in this way, Christ did not simply rise up and vanish out of sight. Do we see what's happening here? The disciples are standing. And they're fixing their gaze on the human form of Jesus Christ. A form that can never be depicted in paint. They're fixing their gaze on him. He's speaking to them. We read earlier that he has ate with them. He has digested food. And now we have Jesus Christ rising bodily before them into heaven. And they follow him with their eyes. Until we're told... A cloud receives him out of their sight. He didn't simply vanish into thin air. It's not like a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ that we read of in the Old Testament where without explanation he appears and perhaps he ascends with the smoke of a sacrifice or he vanishes out of their sight. Now we have the incarnate Christ and he doesn't just vanish. His body ascends into heaven. That's what we're being taught by this cloud. Physically, Jesus Christ in his body is now in heaven. Perhaps with those two other bodies that are in heaven, that of Enoch and Elijah. Maybe something for further study. We have it kind of emphasized for us with the contrast of the two men who are found standing. It says, Behold, in verse 10, two men stood by them in white apparel. These two men have appeared from nowhere. We're told nothing of their approach. 
We're told nothing of their departure. One moment they're there, another moment they're not. Likewise in the tomb, two men appeared. These angelic forms are not appearing in, in flesh, in human flesh. No, Christ remained visible. His human physical body remained vis- visible to the disciples until the cloud received him out of their sight. Body and soul, God and man, Christ enters beyond the veil. He enters into heaven where he will inaugurate his triumphant reign as God, but also his intercessory work as man. He's our forerunner, as it's put in Hebrews 6, verse 19 to 20. And that physical, bodily ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven proves to us that the work of the gospel is guaranteed to succeed. For us today, this bodily ascension of Jesus Christ ought to be a cause of great encouragement. (coughs) You know, we should never think somehow whimsically of the days when Christ dwelt on earth. There may be much to be gained by visiting those places where Christ visited. I have no doubt at all that seeing such sights would help us immensely when we read God's word and we read of the geography of it. These are real places. This is real history. But on a spiritual level, it was never better for the disciples to dwell with the incarnate Jesus Christ on earth than it is for us today to dwell with that same incarnate Jesus Christ in heaven. It was not a better day than we have now. The access that they had to Jesus Christ was not better than the access that we have now. This was the moment in which their understanding was opened. And up until this point in time, their understanding did not approach anywhere close to your understanding. If you're a child of God, of what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. (coughs) That confusion that the two had on the way to Emmaus that we thought of last time, uh, expecting the earthly kingdom, not understanding the Old Testament, you and I do not have that confusion. But not only so, but we have infinite access, infinite access to the incarnate Christ in heaven. Access that the disciples only had as they were able to approach him physically. Only one person could speak to Christ at a time. Whereas this morning as we pray, all the children of God across this world praying, all of us being received at the throne of grace through that one intercessor in heaven. Christ on earth, you see, was the suffering servant. He was here in his humiliation, but in heaven he is our exalted Lord. And he is there in our flesh as the Son of God in his exaltation. Remember that, child of God, when we look around this cruel world, when we see this dejected world, when we see this world that hates Christ, that hates his people, These days of trial in which we live, remember this. Jesus Christ has not left us. He has not left the world 
He rules the world now from heaven. He has moved his throne to heaven. And this proves that his work will succeed. This proves that this gospel kingdom will prevail. But secondly, this morning from this passage, we see that not only does the ascension prove that the work is guaranteed to succeed, but secondly, we see that Christ's reign from heaven sustains this work. Verse 10 reads, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. John Calvin says in his Institutes, referring to this passage, that it was only by his ascension to heaven that his reign truly commenced. It was only by his ascension into heaven that his reign truly commenced. <coughs> uh, well, let's see more of Christ's reign in heaven, his session in heaven. We see firstly from this verse a vision of glory. We read that while they looked steadfastly toward heaven. We saw a moment ago that little cloud that received him out of their sight. Hold the thought of that cloud in your mind. And come briefly as these thoughts would signpost us elsewhere in scripture. We have the disciples Standing in awe, looking at that cloud, wondering at the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. We don't know what his journey was like once the cloud received him out of sight, but he journeyed. The atoms and molecules that made up that physical body journeyed. And here the disciples stand in awe, staring up at the cloud paralysed by their experience. And can we blame them? We're told that they looked steadfastly. There's another occasion that that perhaps put you in mind when you read the words, they looked steadfastly unto heaven or toward heaven. Does it not remind us of Stephen? When Stephen's being stoned to death in just a few chapters time in Acts chapter 7, we read in verse 55, But he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. So there's a little signpost for us here to look steadfastly into heaven. And Stephen gives us another little signpost of what he sees when he looks steadfastly into heaven. And what does he see? He sees one that he describes as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. As far as I am aware, you may correct me later, this is the only reference after the resurrection, or certainly after the ascension of Jesus Christ, in which he is referred to as the Son of Man. And that reference to the Son of Man in heaven, there's another little signpost for us. Back to the passage of Daniel that we read. 
And in that chapter 7 of Daniel, Daniel is recording a vision of heaven. Now it's a vision. Daniel is not standing in the physical heaven. It's a vision of heaven. But what does he see? In verse 13 we read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Do you see what's happening in this passage in Daniel 7? Do you remember that little cloud? Well, here in Daniel 7, what we have is the heaven's eye view of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Daniel sees the glory of God in heaven. He describes it as the ancient of days. And he says he sees one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. It's as if that little cloud that the disciples see going under Christ, as we're told in that passage that the, the cloud received him, it goes under him and bears him up. The idea being that the cloud is not, he hasn't vanished through the cloud. The cloud is now rising with him, below him. And that's what the received really gives us. And here is Daniel in vision, seeing one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. It's as if he's seeing the other side of the ascension. He's seeing that glorious entry into heaven of our Saviour, of our incarnate Lord being brought out of sight by the out of sight of the disciples by that cloud. But that's a cloud that brings him into view and glory. I hope I'm not being too poetic when I put it like that. But here is the, here is the, the Lord Jesus Christ coming with the clouds onto the Father. This physical ascension of Christ into heaven, it's a vision of glory. But with that ascending into heaven, it points us also to the fact that Christ is now reigning from heaven. We're told that the disciples looked toward heaven. In that vision of Daniel, when the Son of Man arrived, what does it tell us? He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. Now, there is much to be unpacked in that vision of Daniel, which is beyond our purposes this morning. But there is certainly Jesus Christ incarnate coming into heaven. And there is certainly a a vision of glory. And there is certainly the kingdom being extended to the Gentiles. Of that there is no question whatsoever. The timelines, people may argue over, but these components are here. And what we see is Jesus Christ being given that dominion that we saw last time, that authority of the Father, that authority being now given and that dominion of the kingdom of glory being now given to the Son. You see, he is now reigning. He is now in session in the glory. Christ ascending, as we saw, did not mean that he was leaving his work. But his return to heaven means the commencement of a reign of the like there has never been before. Yes, Christ reigns from all eternity as God. Yes, he is the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. 
But now he reigns in heaven in a way in which he has never reigned before. Because now he reigns in this body. Now he reigns incarnate, but ascended and glorified. In one sense we could say the kingdom is come. The king is now in session. He has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, as the apostle in the Hebrews tells us. See how Christ taking up his reign in heaven, that reign which is over the uttermost part of the earth, Christ being on the throne of that kingdom is a sure guarantee that that kingdom will succeed. This is what is referred to in Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Isn't that little word until such a precious word? Isn't that a promise? Isn't that our promise? As Christ stands in our place, as our king, as our intercessor, isn't that our promise that the enemies will surely be made his footstool and this kingdom will surely succeed? But there's another sense in which this session or this reign of Christ in heaven sustains the work of God there. And it's this, that we as his disciples on earth are now enabled to walk by faith and not by sight. We read that Jesus was received out of their sight. We also read these words, Behold, two men. For the disciples, this experience of Jesus Christ going from being in their view to never being in their view again until he comes for them or until they are delivered into glory. Their physical eyes will never see Christ's physical body until the day of the resurrection. And so sight is put out and faith is opened up. Their entire experience of the religion of Christianity until this moment in time has been visible. Everything about it has had an earthly reference. Notice all the words that are used in in our passage, in the whole passage of uh, the first chapter up to verse 14. All the words that refer to sight. Verse 3, we have showed, seen. Verse 9, beheld, sight. Verse 10, they look steadfastly and behold. Verse 11, we have them gazing and seen. But now we have Christ received out of their sight in order to sit at the right hand of the Father where he will reign until his enemies are put under his feet. And from that moment on, the disciples must walk by faith. Sight has been taken away. The temporal has been taken away. And the giving of God's Holy Spirit, which will come in just a few days hence, it will equip those disciples. And it will equip the followers of Jesus Christ that will follow them through all the ages of this kingdom age to walk by faith, to abound in faith. So it is that Christ's reign guarantees the success of God's work. He reigns in heaven. He reigns from heaven for the purpose of subduing us to himself, for the purpose of ruling and defending us. 
for the purpose of conquering all his and our enemies. Child of God, this should keep you going on. This should sustain you in the work of this kingdom. That Christ is reigning from heaven means that no no matter how bad things seem to be here below, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is succeeding. His work is succeeding. He is reigning on the throne. You are a part of that success. It should remind us that by walking, by faith, we don't judge the state of our Christ's kingdom by what we see. We don't look at the numbers of uh, church members. We don't look at the sinfulness of our society. We don't look at the deadness of our own hearts as any form of measure of the success of Christ's kingdom. We look, child of God this morning, we look to the presence of Jesus Christ on his throne and we know and we are confident and we are assured that his kingdom is succeeding. That ought to sustain us. The work of the kingdom is guaranteed. Jesus Christ's ascension to heaven, it proves it. His reign from heaven sustains it. But also notice with me as we come to a close this morning that Christ coming again from heaven achieves it. Verse 11, we read at the end of verse 10 into verse 11, two men stood by them in white apparel which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus, just as Christ's ascension was not the end of his work, so his current reign in heaven is likewise not the end of the work. Jesus Christ will come again. But before he comes again, the disciples are instructed that there is a work yet to be done. So the time for gazing into heaven has to stop. From these words of the angels who now appear from nowhere, we learn something of that coming work. They begin with a humble reminder. Ye men of Galilee, they say. Whenever they call them, ye men of Galilee, they're drawing attention to their humble origins. They're simply men. These disciples were mere men. They weren't even the best of men. They weren't even from the best of places. They were men of Galilee. They weren't men of Jerusalem. A humble reminder, but they were the men of Galilee who verse 2 in Acts 1 tells us, were called by Jesus Christ to be his apostles. They were the apostles whom he had chosen. So we see in this address that there is a sense in which the duty of Christian discipleship is brought to the fore, is brought into their attention, is brought to their minds. Ye mere men, ye are men called of God. What are they called to do? His earthly work was complete. His heavenly reign continues. And now as Christ's representatives on earth, here's the disciples being put to work. We see that that work was a call to obedient service. 
And they're asked, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? There's a gentleness in the rebuke there. I think it is a rebuke. Christ left instructions for them. It's a gentle rebuke. Let me turn your eyes away from heaven and back to the work. It's a perfectly understandable thing to be gazing after Christ as he goes into, into heaven. It was a remarkable sight, but the time has now passed. <clears throat> it's time to get moving. What are the disciples called to do? What does this kingdom work look like? What does this obedient service involve? It involves worship. That's the first thing the disciples did. In Luke 24, immediately following the ascension, immediately afterwards, we read, and they worshipped him. They worshipped him on the spot. As the angel stops speaking, the disciples begin to worship. But they continued worshipping him. Luke 24 goes on, they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. They had habitual worship. There was that continued pattern of worship in Acts 2 verse 1. And we read, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Here we have regular weekly worship. And that regular weekly worship will not cease as long as this kingdom work continues. Even during the recent closures of places of worship across the world, yet there were places that continued to meet and continued the worship of this kingdom. But there was more to this duty than worship. We see, secondly, they were called to watch and pray. In verse 4, we were told that Christ commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. In verse 14, we find them continuing with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. What are they praying for? Well, we know that they weren't mourning the loss of the Saviour's bodily presence. For Luke 24 tells us they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. What they were praying for was the promise of verse 4 and 5 to come. They were praying for the work of the Holy Spirit. For his power to be given. They were praying to be made ready. And we see what they were praying to be made ready for. Thirdly, their duty was to witness. When Christ laid out the plan of the kingdom in verse 8, he said that they would be his witnesses. Beginning at Jerusalem, spreading across the whole world, he was making it clear what this mission of his church on earth would be. It would be taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they rose to that duty. In Mark 16, verse 20, we read that they went forth and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The Lord working with them, reigning from heaven, sending his spirit, but working with them. This was the beginning of the work of the gospel. This was the obedient disciples worshipping their Lord, watching and praying for the equipping that they needed and the equipping that they received at Pentecost, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gospel being taken up on that day of Pentecost and carried, as we're told, into every nation under heaven. But we see that this work could not, would not continue forever. 
We've said that Christ's return from heaven achieves it. We see then that this kingdom work is a temporary work because there is an appointed day in which Christ will come finally with a bodily return. This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And the words that the angels use when they say that Christ shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go, they are emphasizing once again the body and the bodily, the physical return of Jesus Christ. Just as he ascended physically, as God, but also as man, as our forerunner, as our substitute, as our surety, so he will come again to take us to be with him, to join him where he is in that glorious and eternal reign in heaven. Christ was born, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and now, in the age in which we live, he has ascended and is reigning from heaven. While the gospel goes into all the world, Christ continues his reign. He makes ready the church to be received into heaven to be with him. See then, this ascension was necessary because without it, Christ's humanity would not have entered heaven. He would not have taken up his throne. He would not come again to judge the quick and the dead. The ascension into heaven. This is the crowning act of the entire redemptive plan of history. But it is the coming again from heaven that achieves the success, the guaranteed success of this kingdom work. We are living today in the same era as these post-ascension disciples. Christ who ascended to take his place as the King of kings and Lord of lords at the right hand of the Father is still on that same throne today. He is reigning and it is still his kingdom. It is still his plan and his plan has not changed. The uttermost part of the earth has not changed. And our duty as Christ's disciples on earth today has not changed. We must worship him. For Christ is to be worshipped in all the earth. That his people shall be willing in the day of his power. In the beauty of holiness. Think of that when we sing those words. We must wait on the Lord earnestly. For the power of his Holy Spirit in the work of his kingdom. For the Lord to work with us through his spirit, in the extending of that kingdom. And with the help of that same Holy Spirit sent to us from that same Christ who reigns on that same throne, we are to carry the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. Your family this morning is within the uttermost part of the earth. So is your neighbourhood. So is the shop that you shop in. So is the workplace that you attend. If you're in school, your school is part of the uttermost part of the, of the earth. Your business is part of the uttermost part of the earth. You're called by 
the ascended Christ to carry the gospel with the help of his spirit to the uttermost part of your of your world. And you can do it in this confidence of certain success because he will come again in the same manner in which the disciples saw him go. And he will come bodily, the God-man, the saviour of his people. Amen. And let's stand for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee, O Lord, that we serve the risen, ascended Saviour. We thank Thee, O Lord, that we pray unto Thee because He is on the throne. We thank Thee, O Lord, that we serve Thee here below because He is on the throne. And we thank Thee and we praise Thee that Thy work is, is successful now in this day. And thy kingdom has come now in this day. But, O oh Lord, we long for that day in which the kingdom will finally come and in which the success of this kingdom will be fully realized as that perfected bride of Christ is gathered into the glory. Heavenly Father, continue with us as we sing out thy praise. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Turn for our final psalm this morning, please, to Psalm 110. <clears throat> psalm 110. We'll sing the first four verses of this psalm this morning. And we will sing of the certainty, of the assurance that we have of the success of Christ's kingdom. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord did say unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thy foes a stool, whereon thy feet may stand. The Lord shall out of Zion send the rod of thy great power. In midst of all thine enemies be thou the governor. Psalm 110, singing with joy and understanding in our hearts to God's praise. Verses 1 to 4. <coughs> The Lord is
stand as we close our service this morning. Our gracious and our eternal Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this time that we have had in Thy presence. We pray that Thou would take those things that belong unto Thee, take those words that have been of Thyself, that Thou would apply them to every heart, that Thou would receive of our worship, and Lord, it would be acceptable unto Thee, that it might rise unto Thee into heaven, uh, being purified through the intercessory work of our Saviour, and being accepted as a, an acceptable saver, as a sweet saver in heaven. We pray, O oh God, that thou would bless us now as we part, that thou, O oh God, would help us to remember thy day, to keep it holy in our exercises in public and in private, and that this day would be sanctified to thy glory and to our growth in grace. Continue with us now, we pray, and bless us, every one. For we pray and ask these things, giving thee thanks, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call now on our brother Derek to come and administer the Sunday School prizes. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. <clears throat>